So we're in 1 John chapter 5, and uh, what we're doing today is kind of wrapping up a series uh, that was called And Live in Freedom. And then what we're also doing is kind of setting up our next series next, uh, that'll launch next week. And then also um, kind of wrapping up this season for us as a church, this rehab of this building and um, kind of the relaunching of our church next week. Uh, so we're kind of wrapping that up and springing into uh, what will be next for us, which is everything we're doing next week. Uh, before I forget, um, just a reminder, next week we have a 9 o'clock and a 10.30 service. Okay, uh, and so don't show up at ten. That'd be kind of weird and not much to do. Okay, so uh, nine o'clock and ten thirty next week, and uh, we'll, we'll be kicking off a brand new series, and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun together. Uh, this morning, I want to look at this text and see some of the truths in it, and um, and then wrap us up with kind of a uh, a charge of of what's next for us uh, as as the body of Christ together. The text is kind of confusing, as you begin to read through it. There's a lot of um, sentences that kind of run together, and um, they're a little tricky. So we're going to try to unravel it this morning. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And why John wrote his gospel and why John wrote this first John, this letter that we know as first John, uh, his purpose for writing both of these letters was the same, and that it was so that people would know the truth about Jesus. I often say around here that we are a multi-denominational church. And the reason I say that is because we have people who grew up in many denominations that now call redemption their home church. And in that, we have eight core doctrines that we say these are absolutely essential. We will never waver on these. We desire unity in the body of Christ, but over these eight doctrines, we would divide because we feel like they're essential to the truth of the gospel. And so as a multi-denominational church, we rally around or hold in or unify around these eight doctrines. Now, John wrote his letters for a similar reason. He wanted people to know the truth about Jesus. See, even early on in the history of the church, there were people who were creeping in, uh, that's the word they use in the scriptures, creeping in and disrupting proper doctrine and trying to chase people away on the truth about who Jesus was. And if you take Jesus out of Christianity, well, then you don't have anything. And so they said, we have to preserve the truth of Jesus. And so in this, he's saying the one that we're talking about, the one who this is all about, and this comes at the end of the letter, it's the one who came by the water and the blood, the water and the blood. Now, the water and the blood represent two significant moments in the life of Christ. The water represents his baptism and the blood represents his death on the cross. And so John is saying, I'm talking about the one who was both baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, signifying the beginning of this public ministry on earth and the cross, which we, John was saying, we all remember. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. And so he's saying the, the Jesus, the whole thing that this is all about, it's about that Jesus, the one who was baptized and the one who died on the cross, the water and the blood. Now, within this writing, we also see some ties or connections back to the Old Covenant. See, the uh, Jewish people were God's chosen people, and there was a covenant made between the Israelites and God the Father. And in that covenant, there were instructions that were given. 
And part of those instructions were how to, uh, for lack of a better term, return to holiness or right standing. And in that, there were two different procedures that you could return to right standing. One of them was to be purified with water. And so there were moments in the Old Testament where you would um, see people go and they would wash themselves with water. There were instructions, like a guy named Naaman, who was told to go dunk himself in water seven times, and then he would be cleansed. And these were um, uh, physical pictures of spiritual realities. And so there was a purification through water. And uh, one of the things that the purification through water did most was that it allowed people who were considered unclean to re-engage in relational community. And so unless you were um, washed in water, purified in water, then you had to stay separate from the covenant community. But upon your washing, you were then re-embraced. This is old covenant. Now, there was a second way that you could also be made right, uh, and that was through a sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed and where their blood paid the payment or the penalty for sin, for wrongdoing. And so in the Old Covenant, we see two paths back to righteousness, water and blood. And the water restored relationship, and the blood, the blood uh, made you uh, um, not guilty anymore. And so we see in the Old Covenant what this water and blood begins to symbolize. And then we see in the New Covenant how Jesus, by the way, if you're ever like, I don't really understand the Bible. Why do we even read the Old Testament? Uh, if you ever want to understand the Old Testament, just realize that all it's doing is pointing us to Jesus. It's just pointing us to Jesus. And the whole point of the Old Testament is not that you have to keep all of the Old Testament laws. It's that you could never keep all of the Old Testament laws. So Jesus came and did it for you. That's what it means to live in freedom. So if you're here today and you think you have to live up to all of those, take a big, deep breath. You good. So the water and the blood. Now, in the New Testament, this um, analogy or these, uh, these words, water and blood, continue to be used. And the word water is often associated with the word life. Like I give springs of living water. Or if you, um, uh, if you drink of this water, then you'll never go thirsty again, Jesus says to one distressed woman. And so the water represents this life. And also what happened in Jesus' baptism it was the moment where the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon Jesus and the Father actually spoke. There are a few times in our New Testament where we actually hear the words of God the Father and the baptism or the water was one of them. And the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. A very strong sign of um, blessing and joy upon the son, but also it was a statement of relationship. Relationship. This is my son. I'm in relationship with my son. And so the water represents life, and the, the water represents relationship. And then you get to the cross, right, which um, outside of the resurrection, which is obviously a big deal, this is the ending of Jesus's earthly ministry, right, prior to his resurrection. And what, what of the blood? Well, what, what of the blood? The, the, the blood all throughout in the Old Testament and the New Testament then, and on what we know happened on the cross. See, whereas the relationship um, from a human perspective began um, between the Father and the Son, uh, not that it began at his baptism, but that's when we first hear of it publicly stated, um, on the cross, the complete opposite happened. What happens on the cross? 
Jesus utters the words, it is finished. He gives up his soul and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only moment in human history where the relationship is actually severed. Why? Why? What is the blood, what is the blood doing? It is, it is declaring not guilty. It's paying a penalty for sin. So let's summarize all of this. When John writes, this is the one who came by the water and by the blood, what's he doing? He's saying, this is the one who came both relationally and legally. Now, this is important for us to understand if we're going to understand this gospel. So I wrote down a few things so I'd say them correctly. The water is personal. The blood is legal. The water renews. The blood declares guiltless. Jesus came personally, and Jesus came legally. Remember when Pilate washed his hands of Jesus? What did he do? In, in this statement, what does he say? It's the, it, it, by the way, the, the writers were brilliant because what Pilate is doing is the anti-version of what Jesus did. This is an Easter message. Somebody write it down. What Pilate is doing is saying, right before he says, I wash my hands of him. What is he saying? He's saying, I am not relationally connected to this person anymore. And then he goes on to say what? Your, his blood, water and blood, his blood will be on whose hands? Your hands. In other words, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm relationally disconnecting and walking away. You take care of this, Jews. And then he's saying also, his blood is not on my hands. So now you, Jews, you are going to be held legally responsible for this. What is Pilate? He's the anti-Jesus. He's the one who doesn't want to engage in the mess, either relationally or legally, which is setting up the one who would come, Jesus, who would look in at our mess and say, I will relationally involve myself and I will be legally held responsible so that you don't have to be. Jesus is the anti-Pilate. So this Jesus is the one who came both relationally and legally. Remember when uh, in John 19, John, the same writer who's writing this, when the spear hits Jesus' side, what happens? What gushes out? Both water and blood mentioned there again in the same verse. Why? Because the cross was doing something both relationally and legally. Both of these things were happening at the same time. The, the salvation that we get in Christ is both personal and legal. Let me say it this way. It personally redeems you and it legally defines you when you're in Christ. Let's look at a, a, a salvation that is just water. A salvation that is just water. What would that be? It'd be a salvation where you get life, where you might get life out of the relationship that you have with God. If it was just water, you get life. You get, and I'll talk about what the life looks like in a few moments. You get life. But then when you die, what happens? If the penalty hasn't been paid, then there's no eternity. So a salvation that is just water, well, it might be great for life, but it's not so great for the afterlife. A salvation that is just blood and not water. You might get eternity, but there's no life. We have life eternal, or we have eternal life because of both the water and the blood, because of both the personal relationship and the legal definition. Maybe I'm throwing a lot at you this morning, but I think this is important for us to understand. Said another way, you are both cleansed and guiltless. 
You are both changed and redeemed in the sense of bought and paid for. Why is this important? Why is this important? Let's keep going. This is he who came by water and blood, who came both personally and legally, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, not by relationship only, but by the water and the blood, by both the personal and the legal. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. The Spirit here is just representing the resurrection because the water and the blood, um, though it was amazing, needed to be um, exclamated, pointed, that's really bad grammar, um, with the resurrection. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he who has born concerning his son, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Why is this important? Because when we understand the water and the blood, when we understand that the salvation means that we are both relationally connected and legally protected, that it produces a testimony. It produces a testimony. Now, when I think of the fact that I am relationally connected to God, um, and, the, and I think about the fruit of my relationship with, with, with the Father through Jesus, I mean, there are words that we use to describe this. Jesus called it abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10. That's the, the life that we're given. Some words that I would say when I think about the idea that I'm relationally connected to the God of the universe, one of the things that gives me is peace. Peace. He's in control, and I'm relationally connected with him. Another thing it gives me is hope. Hope is just the vision of a preferred future. I have a hope that can't be taken. Why? I'm relationally connected with God the Father, and he's telling me what's going to happen next. So this, this life in Christ, man, it produces peace. It produces hope. You know another thing it produces? Joy. Joy. And like our opening song saying, there's nothing that can be given that's better or greater. By the way, let me give you a little commercial. Next week, we're going to kick off a series entitled this. I've been wanting to preach this sermon for, or this series for like a year, but it just kept getting bumped and moved around. We're going to preach a sermon series or kick it off next week that's called this. Does God want me to be happy? I'm not going to trick you because some of you are ready to jump out and say, No. You have to be that angry when you say it. And then some of you are like, it's a trick question. God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. And that's wrong too. And we'll talk about that next week. Because I want to tell you that the idea that God doesn't want you to be happy isn't just wrong. The complete opposite is actually true. And so next week, I want to walk you through, does God want us to be happy? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm a parent, and you know what I want for my kids? I want them to be happy. Do I want them to be happy because they choose sin? No. Do I think I know what's best and the best path for their happiness as their father? Yeah. Do you think God knows the best path to your happiness? Yeah. Is the scripture overwhelmingly filled with the idea that God cares and wants you to be happy? Yes. Some of you are like, I don't know about this. Then you better come back because I'm going to prove it to you. And also, you're probably very sad, so you should come back. It's actually going to come out of 
the one time in my life that I walked away from my faith. And the reason I did it is because I grabbed my Bible and I said, if it doesn't make me happy, then why should I do it? Why build my entire life around something that makes me miserable? You know what happened? God showed me it didn't have to be that way. I want to show that to you too next week. That comes out of this life that we have in Christ, the peace and the, and the, um, and the hope and the joy. And I'll say joy just to make sure you're still with me, right? But by the way, the word joy and happy in the Old Testament are actually the same. So next week, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And there are times in my life when I have to remind myself that I am relationally connected to God the Father. There's that famous passage in Romans that says, what can separate us from the love of God? And we think about all of the lists that is brought out. And there's this massive list of all of these things. And the author is asking, what can separate us from the love of God? And I think most of the time, what we do is we view that through the relational lens. And it's true. And so we remind ourselves, I can always be relationally connected. And nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of my Father. And I'm always going to be relationally connected. And I know that there are times in your life when it is good for you to just remind yourself that you're relationally connected to the Father. And oftentimes, when I need to remind myself that I'm relationally connected to the Father is when I begin to err too far on the side of self-righteousness and legalism. And I make it more about a list of things to do than I do about a relationship with the Father. And um, in the, I think it was the 90s, um, it, it, all of a sudden, this phrase became really popular. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Right. You know what that came out of? A bunch of people who felt like they were just following a religious system and needed to be reminded that it was about a relationship. That's where the phrase came out of. And it is good to remind ourselves that it's not a religion, it's a relationship, and that we are relationally connected to the Father. And for you right now, if you feel disconnected, if you feel alone, if you feel, I'll fill in whatever other blank you need to, uh, then you are relationally connected to the Heavenly Father. But you know what is also good to remember? That I'm not just relationally connected, I am also legally protected. See, when it comes to legal protection in the, in the Father, what it means is that there are certain things that are now true and cannot be taken. There are certain things that are irrevocable. And oftentimes when I need to remind myself that I am legally protected is um, in moments when uh, not self-righteousness, but sin has taken over my heart. A lot of times when we need to remind ourselves that we are legally protected is when other people, we would call them like modern day Pharisees or hypocrites or whatever, those language that we normally uh, use, would want to tell you that you're no longer in Christ because of sin or failure or something. And in that moment, it's not the relational connection I need. It's the reminder of the legal protection that stirs me back up because I look back in the scripture and I know, no, my sin was paid for. It was. And I go back to Romans and I say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's not just a relational statement. It is also a legal statement. Nothing is capable of separating me from the love of God. 
I am legally protected. And so no matter how um, shameful or, or, or guilty you feel or, or the world wants you to feel or somebody wants you to feel or the enemy is trying to plant in your heart, in that moment, you stand under legal protection. I am a child of God. It can not be revoked. And so I love that Jesus came both relationally and legally. Because when I'm feeling down, I run to the Father and he embraces us in relationship. And when I'm feeling like Romans 8.1, condemnation is creeping back up in my life, I just sit under my legal declaration. I have been made righteous. Not I will be made righteous. I have been made righteous. I am made new. The old is gone. The new has come. And then in verse 10, it says what this is supposed to lead to, the writer calls it a a testimony, a testimony, a sharing of the story. He says, all of those who understand this now have a testimony. They have something to share about the goodness of God and what it's done in their life. So I don't know all of you uh, all that well, so let me just kind of share a little bit what that might look like. Because people ask me this question. So, So what's your testimony? Maybe you've gotten that question. What's your testimony? People ask me that, of course. And I go, man, I was in seventh grade. I went to church camp. That's why I love church camp. That's why we're getting youth ministry back up in two weeks. Because when I was in seventh grade and I went to church camp and the speaker was speaking, like something just like, like exploded in my heart. And he was like, hey, does anyone want to stand up and accept Jesus? And I was like, yes. I was in seventh grade. And so people are like, so that was the moment. I'm like, yeah, that was a moment. Because then I was also like 19 and I was running around the Olentangy River at the Ohio State University. And as I was there running around, I actually literally tripped and fell and I'm like lying there. And it was like one of those Elijah moments where I felt like God was like, what are you doing here, Stephen? I was like, I'm running. And he's like, no, you idiot. Beyond that, this is metaphysical. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. I'm addicted to online gambling. I'm not happy. I've lost all my tuition money. I've eaten ramen way too much in the last month. Like, I'll take just about anything other than this. I was like, go home. And I did. I started an internship three months later. That was a moment. Three years later, some friends of mine and I were like really going, like studying in the scriptures unlike I ever really had up until that point asking questions. I'm sitting outside in my car after like months of these discussions. And this question popped up in my head and I answered the question. And I just began to sob. I was like 22. I think I was actually called pastor by title in that time. And it was like I had felt or experienced grace for the first time. And I just sobbed. That was a moment. These are called testimonies, my friend. 
I'll share one more with you. It was Good Friday this year. Some of you remember Good Friday because we did this. It was kind of fun. We, we like journeyed along with the Good Friday day. And so we had a, a session at 7 and then at like 11 and then at 3, like just like in the scriptures. And we did it on Facebook Live. And it was, it was really fun. We like journeyed along. And in between session 2 and session 3, and I was exhausted because I felt like I had to preach like four different sermons in like one day. And I'm at home in between the break, and I was home alone, and, uh, and I'm sitting there praying, and I'm going over sermon number three for the day, and I'm trying to get ready, and, and I felt exhausted, and I just kind of collapsed, and I'm in prayer, and it was like um, one of those rare moments in my life where I felt like God spoke like specific things into my heart. And, and, and listen, one hand where I'm like, I am confident that was... That was the voice of God in my life, right? And can I, I'm like, there are three things. I'm going to only tell you one of them. One of them, okay? It was actually the first one. And, and the conversation between God and I went something like this. God, this, this being church has just been so hard. And it seems like everything has been like this and then this and then this and then this. And in that moment, God spoke something into my heart that said, there is something coming that you don't know about that is going to change everything. Six weeks later, we walked through this building for the first time. We had no idea. A week before that, I had had a conversation with people that said, we won't be ready to buy a building for another two to four years. In six weeks, God shifts the game. Friends, that's called a testimony. It's a reminder to people that the one who came by water and blood is not just a fictitious story, fairy tale, or something that sounds good around the holidays. It is an active, living, present God moving in people's lives. Your life, your life. Because you know what you have? A testimony. You have a testimony. You've got stories of what God is doing in your life. And you know what you're supposed to do with them? Share them. Because sometimes we get scared. Matthew 10, Jesus predicted that we might get scared at times to share the testimony or to share the good things that God is doing in our life, to share the glory of the gospel with other people. And so in Matthew 10, Jesus kind of gives us a pre-warning and he tells us, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he actually gives us five motivations for why not to be afraid. But this morning, I'm just going to give you three of them. The first one he says is this. This is in Matthew 10, verse 23. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? He says the first motivation for you on why it is that you should share your testimony and the goodness of the one who came by water and blood is that when you do that, if anyone comes back out against you, then that just makes you like Jesus. And if 
you didn't get the point of Christianity. It's, it's to be like Christ. And so he said, if you, if you do share the testimony and, and you do get pushback, if you, if you, it, for what, then, then you're just like Jesus. Okay, well, that's, I'll take that. That's good. That's his first motivation. He says, okay, but Jesus, Jesus was like hitting on all cylinders in this one. And so he just keeps going. He says, so have no fear of them, those who would come against you. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. He says, what will be hidden will be revealed. I've used this example before, but for those of you who are new, I'll catch you up. The second motivation is this. You're going to win in the end. You're going to win in the end. Right? So, like, imagine you went to, or you were watching, sorry, we can't go to, but if you uh, were watching an athletic competition on TV, I'll let you pick yours, and it was in uh, the, you know, second part of whatever competition it is that you're watching, and your team is losing, what do you begin to do? Pace, worry, freak out, get afraid. But what if you already knew the final score? If you already knew the final score and if you already knew that your team won, then it wouldn't matter how bad it looked at any other part in the game because you knew the end result. Friend, it doesn't matter how bad it gets in the current moment because you know the end result. We win. We win. And all that is spoken in here will come to be. You win. We win. Oh, but friend, the we win is not like, hey, we won, you lost. The we win is like, hey, we're going to win, and I don't want you to lose, so come with me. Third motivation. This one's fun. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So why? What's the third motivation on, on why you share your testimony, on why you talk about the one who came by the water and the blood, and why you invite people to church, and why we send out mailers, and why we do billboards, and why we do everything it is that we do, um, and why we can't or should not be afraid? What's the third motivation? All they can do is kill you. He's like, that's it. All they can do is kill you. You say, that sounds pretty dark. Oh, no. It actually walks you right into marvelous light. That's the point. He's like, that's, all, that's the worst they can do. Back over to 1 John. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. You all have a testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This is the testimony. God gave me eternal life. God gave me both relational connection and legal protection. This is the testimony. I am relationally connected to the God of the universe. This is the testimony. My sin has been paid for. I can't screw it up. 
That's the testimony. That God gave us eternal life, life here and life forever. And this life is in his son. Now, it should be really good motivation that you have been given life eternal or eternal life, that you're relationally connected and that you're legally protected. And all of you who have walked through this relational connection and legal protection know how good it is that you have that. And it's awesome because how else do you possibly walk through life? I don't understand. But John doesn't end there. He actually gives a second motivation on this. He says, and whoever has the son has life. So I hope you have life this morning. Hope and peace and joy. Then he says, whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. They don't have it. They don't have life. They'll never know the peace and the hope and the joy that you have. And they don't have the legal protection. And without the legal protection, at the end of days, they're guilty. And so why? Why rehab a building? Why do two services? Why do a capital campaign? Why ask you to volunteer over and over and over again? Because those who do not have the Son of God do not have life. And so friends, God has invited us into the most incredible thing ever. We get to spread the message of life through his church. Izzy, why don't you come on up here? I ran into somebody the other day. And um, this person was well-meaning, but they said something. And then I kept thinking about that something, and it just kept firing me up the more I thought about it. But you're like, well, you should stop thinking about it. Well, sometimes it's good to think about things that fire you up. And so the conversation went something like this. Congratulations on the new building. It seems like it was one of those things where you could just move in, and you didn't have to do any work. And in the moment, I kind of said, well, no, we actually did do a lot of work. And then I had the conversation after the conversation, the one that you have by yourself. And I was actually kind of angry about it because I don't think this person was saying it, but maybe this person was saying it, that had we come in here and not done any work, then we could have walked in here and said, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And this is not um, a slam on anything, like on, 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 on Garden Park or anything like that. So please don't take it this way. But, but we could have walked in here and said, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But I'll tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to just do fine. I don't want to just say, hey, like, hey, what, like, let's just slide in to the new place and, then, and, and just be what we were. 
Because I really think that there was some motivation in that question, or maybe I'm just reading into it, that was like, yeah, so that was nice. You got to just slide right in. I don't want to be a part of fine. What I want to be a part of is people staying here till 1230 at night, painting a lobby because they want people to have life. And what I want to be a part of is people reaching into their bank accounts and saying, I just am trusting like we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. And by sight, there ain't much in there, but I'm going to go ahead and give something because I want people to have life. And what I want to be a part of is a group of people who, when we get up here and we say, hey, we've been working so hard for six weeks and there's like one more week to do and there's a couple more things to clean and there's a couple more things to hang that people just say up and say, yep, we're not done yet and we're going to give it everything we've got because we want people to have life. And so as this season of our church ends, And as next week, like, is the beginning and the launch of something new, we remind ourselves what it is all about, what it is always about, Jesus, the one who came and made us relationally connected and legally protected and has changed us and given us a testimony so we can go out to a world and say, you can kill me, I don't care, you need life. And that's what it's always got to be about, friends. And so then the next three verses just say, I wrote this so that you would know that you know that you know that you have your salvation. Because when you know that you know that you know that you have salvation, then you know that your prayers are, an- or you know that your prayers are heard. And when you know that your prayers are heard and you pray them in the right way, then you know that God will do whatever it is that you prayed for. So let's pray for some things. Will you stand with me? Father, we are humbled at your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness to our church, our families, over these last seven months, these last six weeks. And Father, I pray for my friends out here, and then myself included, that you would fire us up in a way to share a testimony with somebody this week of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of Jesus, of the life that you have given. We pray that you would reach people with your gospel through us. And that when they hear it, they would experience redemption and live in freedom. So use us this week. Give us divine appointments. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.